Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. We have an extension for Denzel Ward. I want to talk about that, what it means for the larger cornerback market. I also want to look back a little bit to the Derek Carr extension, which I did not dig into enough, and what this means for the combination of quarterback and wide receiver salaries. And of course, get into all the other news of the end of last week. This is Unexpected Points. Ready, ready, ready here. We lucked out getting this Denzel Ward extension news in under the wire. So lucked out in the fact that my being lazy and not recording until Monday afternoon, as opposed to doing a Sunday night podcast, something like that, means that I can be one of the first people to talk about this deal. I know I got some Browns fans who are listeners. My man back here, Sashi Brown, not... Did not draft Denzel Ward, although I have it on pretty pretty high up in the Browns front office of someone who was there during the Sashi era and uh, still there till today, that he was high on Denzel Ward, though he probably would not have taken him with the fourth pick overall, maybe a trade back as part of that, which we'll talk about the top five, some of the top five implications of that deal. Uh, I also want to dig into Derek Carr's contract. As I mentioned, I never had a chance to go through that because I was talking wide receivers with Rich Rebar at the end of last week. If you want to check that out, I suggest you do so. We go over Traylon Burks as our number one guy and some concerns about some other people in the class. I want to talk about wide receiver stuff generally the salaries we're seeing the potential holdouts what it means the combination of an of an elevated market for quarterbacks and wide receivers because what we're going to see in the future and like i said i'll go into a lot more detail on this in a couple of years out from now when these contracts that are being signed today the low initial cap hits start start exploding going forward the combination of a quarterback and a wide receiver together if you have elite at both of those positions um i know there's a Maybe a, a knock-on effect, a symbiosis between the two that can raise the value of each of them. So maybe it's okay to pay a lot for them. But because those two markets exploding, we're talking about you know twenty-five percent plus of the cap, even an accelerating cap as far as how much is going up. Twenty-five percent plus of that cap could go into these markets. So again, I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Before I start with Denzel Ward, let me start with fifty percent off. PFF subscription, Elite, use promo code DRAFT50. Again, we're in we're in code red zone here for the draft coming up. Refresh with all of the team pages and team needs and everything else there is there for the NFL draft guide. I believe today that dropped uh, Mike Renner doing all the work there, all the different prospects, all the advanced metrics. Everything is available there 50% off, draft 50, a lot of locked article content, the mocked draft sim simulator being completely unlocked, so full fu functionality on that, grades and data on the upcoming season. If you get this, of course, you'll have it rolling through next year, and you get all of our fantasy football content that's going to be hitting up post-draft 
looking at landing spots, figuring out who you're going to want if you're a dynasty rookie draft and who you want in best ball leagues to target anyone in seasonal this year. Also, PFF is launching the Hutch podcast. I've listened to the first couple episodes on there. I'm you know, consuming it in moderation, not firing through all four episodes at once. Excellent job by Austin Gale and Davis Alfaro and everyone here at PFF. And of course, you know, Aiden Hutchison working with us and 50 plus different interviews with some of the biggest names in sports on that, including coach uh, John Harbaugh over there. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, uh, at Michigan. Um, okay, so let's let's get into this Denzel Ward contract. Now, I want to preface this discussion because I'm going to have some seemingly negative angles on this. I want to preface this discussion by saying that the cornerback market, unlike the wide receiver market, unlike the quarterback market, sometimes I have to enunciate more clearly when I'm talking about cornerbacks versus quarterbacks because it sounds pretty similar. But when it comes to the former, the cornerbacks like Denzel Ward, maybe I should just say defensive backs for an uh, easier way of not confusing that, has been a very suppressed market versus what we've seen in edge players. Those numbers go up a lot, especially with the huge jump that we saw with Joey Bosa, uh, what was what was signed before last season. And we've seen continuing with Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. Uh, what we've seen in the quarterback market with Aaron Rodgers, now Deshaun Watson in an interesting sort of deal, even you know Derek Carr to some degree. And I'll talk about his deal that – that just happened not that long ago. Everything that's going on there. And then the wide receivers, this is the year of the wide receiver market taking a huge jump up here with the sign-in trades of Devontae Adams and um, Tyreek Hill moving the, that market way, way up. And then Stephon Diggs also getting in there. I'm going to talk about Diggs a bit in his contract. I was a little surprised by how substantial that was. So everyone's clamoring in that market to get in here. The defensive backs... And the top defensive backs in the league has fallen way behind. I mean, part of it is fluctuations in talent cycles. I think there was a big, you know, running backs don't matter was thriving at its most probably when there was a lull in the running back market for quite a few years where there weren't the quote-unquote generational talents coming out. I know we put quotes around that, but even before Ezekiel Elliott, those few first few drafts before that, there wasn't a lot happening there. Sometimes, you know, I think Gio Bernard may have been the first running back taken in one year. Another one was Bishop Sankey, I believe, was the first running back taken in another year. So there there weren't the big all-around type of guys that we saw when we had, you know, Ezekiel Elliott come out and then we had Christian McCaffrey come out and then Saquon Barkley and all these other guys you know, Barkley may not get the big deal, but Dalvin Cook having a, have a big year. Those guys are all kind of on another plane than what we saw of the running backs before that, Alvin Kamara. So some of it's about a fluctuation in talent. I think that's somewhat the case in what's happened with the cornerback market. So we don't want to read too much into it. It's just, it's very, very, very top heavy when it's basically Jalen Ramsey and everybody else is how I look at that market. And when he signed his extension a couple of years ago, five years, $100 million. The fact that he's being trumped by Denzel Ward here by the slimmest of margins, five years, $100 million, $100 million point five, So an extra $500,000 over the course of five years. You, you chop that up, you know, $100,000 extra per year on an extension, which is going to kick in, um, you know, two years later, basically, with the cap that's going to have gone up by... I don't know, 15%, 20% in those two years. 
it doesn't really make it an equivalent deal. It doesn't really make it a better deal than Jalen Ramsey, the way it would be framed. It doesn't even really make it a better deal than the Marlon Humphrey deal, which also happened during the 2020 season, five years, 97.5 million, but it still is a substantial deal. So I guess the, the larger context would be it's not a grossly overpay, especially when you think about what's happening in the market generally. But I would say for Denzel Ward, Kind of depends on what your opinion is of Ward as a quote-unquote difference maker. And if you're paying someone $20 million a year, if you're paying someone at the top of a market for a position, even if it's in a depressed market, I think in order to get value on that deal, they probably need to be a difference-making type of player. Maybe you could say it's difficult to judge that when it comes to a defensive back, but I think Jalen Ramsey is a difference-making type of player. I think Marlon Humphrey now, again, let's just try to wipe our brains clear of what's happened over the last couple seasons, the injuries with Humphrey. He got torched in in some games there. Um, If we look back to when he signed his extension in 2020, he was coming off of, in 2019, being first-team All-Pro. So that means he was voted through the AP voters. And again, you know, they're fallible, of course, AP voters, but I think they do have a pretty good representation of any award that you're going to have in the NFL. That is a pretty good representation of consensus thinking on who the best players are. So he was on the first team. That means one of the two top cornerbacks. In fact, let me look at the voting for the, for the all pro. Let's see how many votes he got here. All pro 2019 NFL. Um, let's go through here. So he was cornerbacks. Um, am I looking at the wrong? Okay. So Stefan Gilmore was, got all 50 votes that year. Tredavious White, 38. Actually, I don't see him on here. What am I looking at? Am I looking at the wrong thing here? Hold on. I thought that, uh, Marlon Humphrey was, this is great podcasting, of course, as I'm clicking through here to try to figure out what's going on here. It says first team all pro 2019. Um, maybe he's a different type of all pro here. Dun, 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 let me look up here. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. Hmm. Actually, I don't see him on here, so I'm not sure it's going there. But Tredavious White, now Tredavious White, he signed. Oh, here it is. Oh, okay, okay, here's what it is. Here's what the confusion was. He was tied with Marcus Peters to get in there. It looks like for four defensive backs on the 2019 uh, All-Pro team. So if you think about it, for for those for those two guys, to, the, the, for, for Humphrey in there, again, he was coming off of that type of season. I mentioned Tredavious White. So Tredavious White, he was coming off of the... Same season. It was the 20, 2020 season when he signed his extension. His extension was a lot less, but though only for four years. It was $79 million, so $17.25 million, as opposed to Ward's contract, which is going to be over $20 million here. So not, not quite on the same thing, but again, like Tredavious White was a difference maker, okay, the way, the way, that, he, the way that he had played. There's no other way to talk about that. Second team, all pro in, in 2020, uh, have been a very, very solid player for, for years before that too. 
Denzel Ward, he has a couple of Pro Bowl appearances in 2018 and last year, but you know, anyone that knows about the Pro Bowl, it's not exactly the most well-defined feature for what you can do there. Um, but he has been a solid player according to the numbers that I'm looking at that go along with our PFF war, wins above replacement calculation. Now, it's not the be-all, end-all for for everything when it comes to um, PFF war, but it is a good number in terms of at least giving us some parameters. The one nitpick you can have with our war calculation is it's 100% based upon grading. So because of the fact that it's 100% based upon grading, it doesn't necessarily account for plays when that person isn't being targeted and it's kind of over-reliant on how they're playing on these individual plays when their receiver is being targeted as opposed to how they may be influencing a defense outside of that. I have a different measure, which was the PFF plus minus, where I try to do a better job of incorporating grades, other metrics together, and then wrapping it all together to get like a points-based metric for how many points can be saved or not for particular players. And let's go ahead and pop up Denzel Ward in my metric here. He's kind of like a top 10 guy in PFF war. In PFF plus minus, my measure here, it looks like he's pretty good. He was seventh uh, last year, according to the metric. If we go to 2020, he was... A little bit worse, 13th in 2020. If we go back to 2019, he was 10th. And then if we go back to 2018, he was all the way up at third. So a pretty, pretty good number there. I mean, nowhere close to someone like Stephon Gilmore that year, but a, but a really solid, solid number. So I think it just all depends on how much we view Ward as being that difference maker or not to whether this contract is justified. Even if he isn't, it's probably within the realm of sanity that we've gone on there. But I guess I don't put maybe his ceiling in some years as being as high as the years we've seen from Marlon Humphrey, as high as the years we've seen from Tredavious White, and of course, as high as the years that we have seen from Jalen Ramsey. Now, positives in his direction, some more positives in his direction. And I think this is a way if you're going to directly contrast his contract to the largest cornerback signing of the offseason, which was free agent J.C. Jackson, who signed a five-year, $82.5 million contract. Some people are pointing out to the fact that, well, J.C. Jackson really did not get enough money in light of what Denzel Ward did get. But these guys are in a totally different category. I mean, number one, free agent quarterbacks, very much a hit or miss proposition when you're bringing them into a new system. We've seen some colossal busts before for players that are doing like that. Number two, Let's just look at pure age. So if you're if you're going to give him this five-year contract, for J.C. Jackson, it's going to be over the next five years. For Ward, there's still the fifth-year option year and then an additional five years on that. So we're extending out six years for that. J.C. Jackson is going to turn 27 years old this season. During the season, he turns 27. And Ward turns 24 in April. So you get a much longer window there of basically prime, prime years in the middle there. A few years into this contract for J.C. Jackson, he's going to hit 30. And what happens after that is, you know, 
a little bit of a question. Uh, Jackson was a UDFA versus Ward being a first round pick, not just a first round pick, the number four overall pick. And, you know, the money, like, again, I said, it's pushed out a little bit further, which makes JC Jackson's contract maybe not look as as bad as Denzel Ward's does, which doesn't kick in for not, not I shouldn't say as bad as as much of a discount off of Denzel Ward as what it could be. Now, JC Jackson did lead all cornerbacks last year, according to my PFF plus minus metric, but again, highly dependent on interceptions that he was getting there, um, which have a huge effect on this calculation. He was slightly better than AJ Terrell, but Terrell probably had better underlying metrics on a lot of this sort of stuff than JC Jackson did. So if we go back a little bit further, you know, if we go back to 2020 for J.C. Jackson, yeah, I don't, I don't even – he's all the way down at 30th. So it's kind of like a one-hit wonder sort of thing that people might have been thinking about. I know he had a lot of interceptions the year before too, but he didn't grade nearly as well. So I think people were probably had justifiable skepticism on there. As far as the Browns generally as a whole, you know, we're going to see how this Denzel Ward contract works. They're going to create some space this year to be able to bring in – you know, have Deshaun Watson and everyone else's deals all all good and ready to go. They're going to have some cap space. They have Baker Mayfield's eighteen million that they have guaranteed that they're probably hoping that they can shift off to someplace else post draft once all the quarterback situations settle post draft and see if they can get rid of them there. But the question is really going to be in a couple of years what's going to end up happening because Deshaun Watson's cap hits not this year. It's going to be low. Very famously, he's getting that $1 million salary this this season. But once we get into 2023 and 2024, Deshaun Watson's, you know, the number one contract approaching $55 million a year. You start adding that together with, you know, they keep an Amari Cooper at $20 million a year. You have Miles Garrett, who's going to have one of the biggest contracts at edge player. Now you're going to have Denzel Ward with another one here. The, the Browns are pushing in a bit pushing chips in a bit to really compete this year and next year with all of these different moves that they're making um, with flexibility because they haven't really hampered themselves with huge free agent signings or other just deadweight contracts that they've had to get rid of uh, beyond some dead money that they're taking with Austin Hooper's contract. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they work through all of this because Ward solid player, top 10 ish type of cornerback not sure he's a difference maker. And again, getting that surplus value above what you're paying them is going to be a little bit thinner here. I think I think they're going to get, I think, they, I think he's still a valuable player in that number, but it's a little bit thinner maybe than what you could see with some other cornerbacks. Okay, I wanted to talk Derek Carr because I didn't have a chance to go into Derek Carr as much last week with the episode that I did on wide receiver contracts. And it's kind of good that I had more time to digest this because the initial numbers of 40 million per season, 120 million, 120.5 million extension for an additional three years, you know, sent some heads exploding. Either people immediately caping up for Carr because he's now quote unquote underrated. I don't even want to get into the overrated, underrated discourse a little bit on this. 
Um, but it also goes into um, people on the other side, some analytics people, some others, and talking about how they view this as a poor contract because the Raiders aren't competing, their playoff odds and their division odds are so low, they're in such a stacked division, what are they really getting out of this? And, you know, I, I fell into that a bit talking about the Devontae Adams contract because I think the Adams contract for a wide receiver is much stronger still even than a this car contract for a quarterback. I think now that we've had more time to digest what's going on here, this is basically this, this this is what I would say. Big picture what the Raiders did here. They said, we're gonna give you four or five million extra this season. We're gonna give you maybe a total of seven, eight million extra over the next two years because there's not a lot of upfront money here. It's only a seven point five million dollar signing bonus and a base salary of seventeen point four million next year. So versus an additional year on his contract and then an additional year in a tag the year after that. They're giving him a little bit more money out there. They're locking in those costs. They're giving themselves kind of option years really after that. Because if you look at how this contract is structured, there are rolling guarantees. But those rolling guarantees don't really happen until Mostly the year of is the third day of the 2023 season is when his 2023 base salary becomes guaranteed. And then 7.5 million of 2024 becomes guaranteed. So only 7.5 million of 2024. So it's really kind of these next couple of years, they locked in what would have been the cost of his last year on his contract and the franchise tag paid a bit of a premium to not have to think about this over the next two years, not have to go through, will we franchise him or not, not have to go through the uncertainty of everything have everyone locked in and going forward with Devontae Adams they're bringing in, with Chandler Jones they're bringing in. They're they're making a push right here. And they've given themselves almost year-by-year year flexibility to get out if they need to. You know, it, it wouldn't be great if they got out after 2023 because $7.5 million of his salary would be, would be guaranteed for 2024, but his salary in 2024 is almost $42 million. So it's still a pretty small portion of that salary. That's what they would be. They would be giving up plus, you know, a couple of years of that prorated bonus is dead cap. So we'd be talking about an $11 million cap hit, something like that, if they got out after a couple of years. So this contract is nowhere close to these other $40 million plus sort of deals that we're talking about, or the Aaron Rodgers $50 million deal, how those are structured how even the Stafford contract is structured so much more money up front, so much more locked in are the Rams than the Raiders are here with Carr, that those deals are really on a different level. Carr is not getting an elite quarterback contract here, despite the optics of the $40 million per year that you're seeing there. Doesn't have the guarantees that are associated there. Raiders can get out much sooner. Not nearly as much money being poured in up front. This really seems like a deal that was like a mutually agreeable type of deal between the two parties when Carr, in a way, is not driving the hardest bargain he could, especially with the Raiders really being all in here. Now, maybe if he did drive that hard bargain, the Raiders would have said, okay, we'll let you play out this contract and we'll just come back next season. We'll tag you. 
and then we'll come back to the drawing board next season. Now, in, in that circumstance, one of two things could have happened. If the Raiders totally flopped and Carr totally flopped, maybe that would have been a better option for the Raiders to be able to move on from him. But then, you know, you got this, you know, approaching 30-year-old Devontae Adams. You have this 30-something-year-old Chandler Jones. You have a decent defense for the first time in forever. Um, what's the realistic chance they're moving on from Carr? And what's really the floor for Derek Carr? I don't think the floor for Derek Carr is to have a bottom 10 type of season. Now, the ceiling for Derek Carr is not going to be a top five season either, but it's, you know, top 10-ish range. Not really in the top 10, though. Probably more like top 12-ish sort of range. So that's what they're locking in. And I feel like Carr didn't really stress them that much other than they got the optics here to make him look like he's getting an elite type of quarterback contract, but he's not really. Devontae Adams' deal is definitely an elite deal. This car contract, not so much. So when you're thinking about that and you're assessing what they're doing, they've decided to go in these next couple of years. Now, if you wanted them to blow everything up, this contract's not the problem for blowing everything up. Yes, you wouldn't have done it if you want to blow everything up, but you'd also have to have a time machine and you know not sign Chandler Jones and especially not do that Devontae Adams trade. The Devontae Adams trade was really the signal that they're going in. And if they're going in, this is not any sort of egregious deal for Derek Carr uh, bringing him in at this type of number. It's barely going over what they may have had here. Um, I think what this also points to for the Carr contract is some people trying to lean a little too heavily on this point that this Deshaun Watson contract is some sort of game changer because of the precedent it established. I mean, Watson was in such a unique situation. You could say that maybe there was a discount on the amount of trade compensation that the Texans got from the Browns because of his legal issues. And that's, you know, again, we're, we're, I'm throwing out euphemisms as much as NFL reporters on this one, but I don't know any other, any other way to talk about this. But the, that may be true. But the contract he got was like an auction process. And that's what sealed the deal for the Browns. That was like having an elite, elite quarterback hit free agency. So if we think that, yeah, now that Watts has done that, every quarterback is going to you know, get these fully guaranteed contracts and it's going to muck up the Lamar Jackson contract discussion and all these others. Well, whatever. Lamar Jackson, yeah. If he wants to go ahead and play through a couple of franchise tags and hit the free market, he'll have this sort of leverage that Deshaun Watson de facto had uh, when making this deal with the Browns. But minus that, it's not going to fundamentally change the way these contracts are going down because it was just a unique situation for Watson. I don't expect that to become the mainstay going forward. Kirk Cousins is another guy was a unique situation. He played through his contract. He played through multiple franchise tags. Then he hit the market. You can't franchise tag him going forward. He has all of that leverage of the continuation of the guarantee contracts that he already had. Again, a unique situation where you can't get there unless you can force your way off of a team like Watson did, but that has to be combined with this extraordinary circumstance of the team wanting to get rid of him because of all of his issues with the accusations of uh, sexual assault, or you have to play through everything, which few quarterbacks have had the patience of doing. Maybe Lamar Jackson will, will be one of the first here um, that are doing it really on their own and to play through those franchise tags to hit the market and then get that huge bump up in salary. We'll see if it happens with, with Jackson, but 
fundamental shift in the quarterback market. I do not believe, I do not believe someone like Kyler Murray, if he's going to look and say, Hey, I want, I want guaranteed money like Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Not going to happen when you have a fifth year option left. Uh, I'm sorry. When you have the fourth year coming up, you have a fifth year option left. You have multiple franchise tags, just not going to happen unless the team really decides they want to get rid of him. And, you know, he doesn't have the leverage of a no trade clause, um, but if he did have a leverage of no trade clause, he might be able to engineer something like that going out. But again, he needs to get his team to agree to want to do that. And I don't think the Cardinals should be in that position right now, even if Murray is making a little bit of noise and making it a little bit difficult for them. They have plenty of leverage to play this out and to not jump at making a move based upon an extraordinary situation like with what happened with Deshaun Watson. I'm sure the Cardinals will be happy to do something like the, the Derek Carr deal. Because again, the Derek Carr deal is not really an elite quarterback deal because of the lack of safety and the lack of guarantees and the lack of upfront money that he's getting. You know, a dollar today, that's one of the that's one of the levers you can pull on these on these cap situations is by giving a player a bunch of money up front, they have that money immediately. That money is worth more than getting money later. You can go invest it in other places, you can make money on that money. There's a discount rate to future money as as opposed to current money. But in terms of the salary cap, it's the same. You give a person an extra $10 million in signing bonus right now, that's worth more to them than getting $2.5 million over the next four years. But they work against the cap in the same exact way. So it's a lever that teams can pull to give more, more real value in that salary by giving as much upfront as possible. They didn't do that with Derek Carr here um, because the risk when you do that is you're locked in for longer on the back end. So they decided they didn't want to do that here. And again, that's another reason why this contract is not nearly as valuable and as good for Carr as the Stafford deal was for him because he was getting tens of millions of dollars more uh, upfront here. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 million more over the first year of, of this extension than, than Carr is going to be getting. Okay, before we get into some discussion of the wide receiver holdouts and the changing quarterback wide receiver one market, let's talk Manscaped. The only true quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for another for a sub 4340, support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming, the roster Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. The weed whacker, the nose and hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also t- Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped is partnered with the, the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men health, and early cancer detection. 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. Okay, wide receiver holdouts and larger wide receiver quarterback markets here. So this wide receiver holdout story, maybe I'll just blow it out of the water right here. Um, The story here is that A.J. Brown and maybe Terry McLaurin and – 
DK Metcalf is not necessarily in there, but he's someone floating in the background is maybe someone who they're not going to participate in quote unquote on field activities as part of these early off season program and maybe any part of the off season program. So let's just talk about the Titans. I'll go through the Titans schedule as an example here. So the Titans workout schedule starts today, April 18th. Organized team activities, more commonly known as OTAs, will take place May 23rd and 21st. 24th, it'll take place on the, again on the 26th, and then May 31st through June 2nd, and then June 6th through 9th. Now, some of that portion, some of those, the last couple of portions there are actual on-field activities. So if AJ Brown and others are going to skip, those would be the things that they would not be participating in. But again, these are voluntary, I put quotes, voluntary workouts and activities here. Rookie contracts, I don't believe have any penalty built into them for skipping these voluntary contracts. Just normally rookies want to get on the field and they want to, you know, do well to get that second contract. So you don't have to motivate them as much. Sometimes there are small workout bonuses for veterans, but pretty tiny. I think for Derek Carr, for instance, in his new contract, there's a workout bonus built into here, but it's a hundred K each year. If you want to skip that, you can go ahead and skip that. The next real marker on the calendar. And again, we're hearing all about this on April 18th about potentially skipping and everything else. April 18th, the real next marker we're talking about is, you know, two months away from now. And that's mandatory mini camp, which is June 14th through 16th. At least that is the case for the, for the Titans. So that gives you the, that's the first real thing we'll see there. The first quote unquote mandatory thing where AJ Brown could do something there, but missing mandatory minicamp, it's basically a hundred thousand dollar fine, a little bit less than a hundred thousand dollars. Again, not the biggest deal. So if he skips that, so then the real, real, real first thing that is meaningful that it that that a person, a player could actually skip where. The game of chicken begins here between player and between team on getting a contract done is training camp. Now, training camp for, again, I'm using the Titans as my example here with A.J. Brown. That begins on July 28th. So now we're talking about from April 18th now, now we're talking about three months and 10 days away before there is really something that is going to cost a player more than 100k then the fines start being substantial then you can start losing guarantees if you're missing out on preseason games all that stuff sorts of happens once training camp begins under july 28th and we saw this with aaron Rodgers last year when he finally came in despite all the hooting and run and missing mandatory mini camp and doing everything else there that's when the leverage in this new cba almost forces players to show up. Maybe they can do a hold in rather than a hold out. They can show up and say, you know, my my hamstring's tight or my ankle's a little sore or, you know, my, my tummy hurts or whatever they can say to get out of having to to play and to just make it generally give discomfort to their teams. But I do think with the way that these wide receiver markets have been flying uh, for young for for players like Tyreek Hill and others, and with young players wanting to get these deals, and now the Stephon Diggs deal, I think it's probably good for these teams to hold firm in this circumstance. And again, I'm talking about from the team perspective here, from the player perspective, use the leverage you can. And again, you can continue to use the soapbox, use the media, use your agent all the way for another three months plus before it matters to you at all. I would suggest 
come training camp, you go because you don't want to be losing out on all that stuff, all that money, all those guarantees, all those years of service, all that other stuff when it really comes into it. But for the next three months, I, you could hoot and holler as much as you want, but the teams have a lot of leverage to just sit back and wait and to not act in what is a somewhat inflated wide receiver market. And because of that, that's why I want to talk a little bit about the Stephon Diggs deal because, again, it's another contract that I didn't really wasn't really able to talk about because of the fact that I was going through some of the rookie stuff here. But this was, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't want to say bad deal. Again, I, I don't want to say it's a bad deal for the team. It's a great deal for Stephon Diggs. So, again, let's, we can flip the script here and talk about it from Stephon Diggs's perspective because he signed a four-year extension. So the four-year extension, he still had two years left on his deal. Four-year extension, $96 million. So we just talked about this Denzel Ward extension, which was a five-year extension for a 24-year-old player. And he only had one year left on his deal. He's getting $20 million a year. Diggs is getting a lot more than that. And Diggs is, this is his year 29 season. So five years older than Ward to give you an idea. If you want to talk about, I don't, I think Diggs is a better wide receiver than Ward is a cornerback, but still massive differences in these markets right now for what's going on here. Diggs getting that type of extension and the guarantees on this, they really make it difficult to cut Diggs until 2026, which would be his age 33 season. You know, I love Stefan Diggs, but there's a reason that when he was traded originally, it was for a second back half of the first round type of pick. He wasn't traded for a top 10 pick. He wasn't traded for multiple first round picks like we saw for Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, despite being a younger player. Remember, he's a fifth round draft pick, which I think probably shouldn't have affected people's perception of him as much, but it did. Um, and the Bills are kind of getting into this a little bit too a attached, I think, on trying to press in for the next year or two. Now, if, if they win the championship, you know, they win the championship this season and no one will care that Stefan Diggs was given all this money. They are the leader as far as their Super Bowl odds right now. So you could say they're pressing their advantage, but the thing is he had a couple of years left in his contract. There's franchise tags you could use. There's other things you use. So what, this isn't like the Derek Carr deal where they're just throwing out, throwing them a few extra dollars to take all of that headache off of their plate of having to worry about talking about the contracts, worry about what going on in the locker room, worry about having to use the franchise tag just next year, right? Carl only had one year left on his deal. Diggs had two. Um, and they're giving Diggs a bunch of money, you know, $45 million. Um, I'm sorry, 20, $21.5 million bonus signing bonus and that's kicking up a lot and a lot of the, the these guarantees are going to kick in to go forward and again you like I said you can't really get out of it until 2026 so much longer to potentially get out of it this is really locking in to this player and this isn't 
a contract you worry about, again, in the upside scenario. This is a downside risk contract. And I think the downside risk sometimes can be underplayed when you have that franchise quarterback like Josh Allen. I mean, if you believe Josh Allen is really a guy who just, you know, he needs Stefan Diggs there because he didn't explode until Stefan Diggs got there, until that third, his third season when Diggs got there. If you think he needs that, then I, I, I can get this deal a little bit more. But when you have a, a quarterback like, like Josh Allen, who is – This is age 25 season coming up here. You know, 10 years of prime play potentially here coming up. The downside risk is with the Diggs deal is you don't win a championship this year when Diggs has a $2.5 million base base salary. I'm sorry, this is a 26-year-old season for uh, Josh Allen, just to correct that. Um, you don't win when next season, when he has a $8 million base salary in 2023. And now, all of a sudden, Diggs is 31 years old. His base salary is $18.5 million, and you can't really cut him. And then the season after that, he's 32 years old, and his base salary is $18 million, and you can't really cut him. And then the year after that, his base salary goes up to $19 million, and, you know, you can cut him. But you're taking a $10 million cap hit. You can $10 million cap hit you can spread over a couple of years. It's not the biggest deal there. But it's not ultimately painless until you get to that range. So that's the downside here. The downside is by pressing in now with a 26-year-old quarterback, you're maximizing those odds for these next couple of years. But you could be compromising a little bit more your odds beyond the next couple of years. And I always feel like if you have that franchise guy, you got to think about it in a longer timeline. So that's why this Diggs deal, well, again, it's not egregious. I'd say it's the first thing that I think that you can point to that the Bills have done that's maybe been a little too giddy, a little too giddy to, to press in while you can to win right now when there wasn't an immediate need to do so other than having to endure a bunch of cryptic Stefan Diggs tweets and holding out and again like they don't have real leverage to hold out players but making a big stink over the next few months for what's going to end up going on and then doing it again next offseason because like even if Diggs plays well I don't think there's the type of upside risk for Stefan Diggs like what deal you're gonna have to sign next offseason going into his final season of his contract if he played well again and they won the Super Bowl the type of deal they're gonna be giving Diggs isn't gonna be that much better than this deal here whereas for Derek Carr again part of what you're accomplishing with that car contract is if he has a great season here in his first season with uh Josh McDaniel let's say they make the playoffs again everyone's hyped up about it they're gonna really make that Super Bowl push the next year he would you'd have to franchise tag him the negotiation and the deal that you might have to sign going forward, which will give you less flexibility, might be even bigger going into next season with the big cap jumps that we're going to see up to $230 million probably next year, up to $260 million the year after that. So the Diggs contract, I just see very, very little upside to this other than quieting Stefan Diggs' Twitter account and whatever sort of disgruntledness he would have in the locker room and showing up to OTAs and all that stuff. Not worth it, in my opinion, on this particular deal. And this kind of leads into my discussion about how expensive team building is going to become now 
when the timing on this, and again, the Stefan Diggs contract, the timing on this, when it starts to ramp up on what you're paying him, it's going to be aligning with the ramp up and what Josh Allen is being paid. When you can't stagger those as well, it's, it's very expensive. I mean, think about this. So if you look at, it's not as, there's huge jumps in a bunch of quarterback contracts um, next year, but the, the jumps in the wide receiver contracts that we're seeing now are not really 2023 deals. They're more 2024 deals. So I'm estimating the cap is going to be 260 million in 2024. That's versus 208.2 million now. So that's a substantial jump, right? That That's a big jump. That's going up. Uh, you know, almost $52 million. So almost by 25% in total over the next couple of years. So that year, now again, the restructurings I'm sure will happen, but restrictions are, are never free, right? That year, if you combine Josh Allen's cap number of a little bit under $42 million with Stefan Diggs's cap number of $26.5 million, that is a total of 26.3% of the cap that year. More than a quarter of the cap just for those two players. You know, you can only spend three times that amount on the whole rest of your roster. Now, they don't have very expensive players outside of that right now. They don't have a lot of top-name talent. I mentioned Tredavious White uh, earlier. Let's look to see. Well, actually, let's just look at the the um the team here generally to see what their what their cap is going forward and i'm also using by the way over the cap.com jason fitzgerald make sure you're always using that so let's go to 2024 now so for tredavious white he'll have about a 16 million dollar cap number Dion dawkins we'll see if that number is still around because there'll be no guaranteed He'll only be a few million in, in dead cap. He'll be about 14 million there. Stefan Diggs, again, like I said, 26.5 million. Josh Allen, a little bit under 42. Uh, oh, Von Miller. I forgot about Von Miller. <laughs> yes. So Von Miller is another deal for the Bills. Again, you're leaning in here. 21 million for, for Von Miller. And you can't even, you can't cut him at that point. And this is two years out into the future for a player who's in his, you know, in his 30s. I don't know, man. If things do not go well in the next couple of years for the Bills, you could be really hampering your 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 quarterback who is not too big of a burden at his number that he's at. Yeah, you start to add up all this money and while they got, you know, they they got some cap space assuming that you're going to have a big 260 million dollar cap here. Man, you're really kind of pouring in a lot of money to a lot of players. I forgot about Matt Milano, another 13 million there. Whoop. So, you know, those 13 millions that we're talking about for Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano are not that bad, but you know, you're going to have no more Micah Hyde is going to be around at that point anymore. You got Mitch Morse. What was he going to be around or not? He's another 10 million potentially you can have on there. You have a bunch of other players who would have dropped off of the scene there. It's going to be a very, very concentrated uh, roster for them. You're hoping for the huge jumps up in the cap, but even with that, it becomes somewhat concentrated. And this is not just the Bills that are facing this sort of problem. The Browns, if you look at Deshaun Watson's 50 plus million dollar number because of how they're they're backloading that contract. If Amari Cooper is still around and he's 23 million, you know, that's over 30% that's being spent by by the Bills on those two players alone. The Rams, and this is without Cooper Cup, because Cooper Cup's deal ends after the next 
two seasons. So without even upping Cooper Cup. Now, when they do up him, I'm sure the Rams being the Rams, he'll, he'll give him a minimal salary in 2024. So they won't be worried about it that much. But still, in 2024, Matt Stafford's $49.5 million, And then you combine that with the Allen Robinson $14 million cap hit in that season. And he'll be around then. I don't think they can get rid of him by then. That's 25% without Cooper Cup or anyone else in there that we're talking about there. Dak Prescott by himself at 52 million is over 20%. You know, what are they doing with CeeDee Lamb? CeeDee Lamb, that'll be right when his contract ends. So he'll be going into his fifth year option in that season. So you, you kick him, you know, a fifth year option amount of, I don't know what it's going to be. It'd probably be somewhere between, 17 million and 20 million dollars you throw that on top of it we're talking about a 25 percent type of cap number for quarterback and wide receiver one for for prescott for the chiefs and this is with marquez valdez scantling being put in there at his 14 million dollar number for 2024 the chiefs are 22 percent again the chiefs <laughs> i love that patrick mahomes deal it it goes absolutely nuclear as far as how far it goes up after that but not, not too bad um, you know, Derek Carr and, and, and the Raiders with the, with, with the new deal, 25% between him and, um, Devonte Adams. So I guess my point would be on this, and I think this is part of the dynamic that we saw with a competing team trading away Tyreek Hill and a competing team trading away Devonte Adams is that it's going to become more difficult if this trend continues, especially in wide receiver salaries, it's be much, much more difficult to build around an elite quarterback wide receiver pairing unless one of them is on a rookie contract still, or they're highly staggered when those contracts first kick in. And you're going to have to backload these deals though, of course, which do, which does come with risk. So I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic because you figure those are the two different types of players who can enhance each other maybe the most of anyone in the NFL. There's arguments for, for others, uh, like the offensive line enhancing the quarterback and so on. But like Tyreek Hill, what is Tyreek Hill without Patrick Mahomes? What is Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill? Those two guys, you know, greater than the sum of their parts type of situation here, where how much Mahomes is worth independent of his receivers and how much Hill is worth independent of his quarterback. You combine those two together, you probably get a higher number with those two together, whereas you might get a lower number for what Hill is worth independent of his quarterback when you combine him with someone like Tua. So the the inability to take advantage of those synergies and that that ability to gross up both of their value could be a big problem for some NFL teams going forward after what we've seen in the wide receiver market. So how do we combat that as a team? I would say, number one, hold your ground. From the team perspective, from the player perspective, hell yeah, use, use whatever leverage you have from the team perspective, hold your ground. As I mentioned earlier, what they should do with these wide receiver contracts. Uh, number two, maybe explore trades. Although, as I mentioned in a prior podcast that the musical chairs element of how many teams are willing to give up a lot and give a huge contract, it might be the jets and no one else right now. So that makes it difficult to get a lot of trade compensation when you don't have at least two teams bargaining for them. But you know, entertain it if you're not in the position to necessarily compete right now and you can get back into that wide receiver market. You could replenish via the draft and hope that when those guys mature into their second contracts that 
we're not having this irrational exuberance in the market. So that would be that would be number two. Uh, number number three, and this kind of goes into number two. Let's look at the draft. I think these guys are going to get pushed up closer. And yeah, you get some issues with players once you start to get into the top five, other things like that. But once we're to the middle of the first round and on, salaries are very friendly. We're talking about $4 million a year if you're in the middle of the first round. We're talking about $2 million a year sort of range once we get into the second round. Those are just darts that you have to throw at players. When there are wide receivers now earning 27, 26 million for these cap numbers in future years, hitting on someone at 4 million is just a great, great, great deal. I mean, maybe you could say hitting on someone at 10 million is a great, great deal, which you would do for a player at the very, very top of the draft. But I think it's just, again, too risky, spread out your risk, especially when we've seen so many players like A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Cooper Cup. Um, even Devontae Adams is a late first round pick. Stefan Diggs, of course, was a fifth round pick. That's a little bit of an anomaly there. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was a late first round pick. There's just a lot of guys. Keenan Allen was in the third round, I believe. Just a lot of guys available in that sort of range where you could throw a lot of darts at them. It just doesn't seem to make sense to want to pay the wide receiver contracts now, despite the fact that I believe and PFF and others believe that they're some of the most valuable players out there. Part of this is catching up to their real value, but again, when you combine that with the quarterback, that's when things become very, very tricky. Okay, that's all I got for you this week. I'm going to try to talk running backs, rookie running backs later this week. I'm not sure quite who my guest is. I'm pinging back and forth between a couple of different people for that, but I will keep you posted on exactly who that will be. And if I have to run solo, you know, I can run solo on this running back class. I think there are names that people maybe not be quite as excited about as they should be. And the top guys, the Brees Hall and Kenneth Walkers of the world. You know, I, I can't judge some of the, the tape-based sort of stuff here, but I think they look as good as any prospects that we've seen in a while, especially Hall, who brings that receiving profile. So it'd be good to contrast him perfectly, look at some of the uh, comps I have and otherwise going forward. So I'll be talking at everyone later this week. Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. See you then. 